So today we're the fourth in our series from 1 Corinthians, but for the grace of God. And today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. As you know, every week we've been reading uh, every chapter. So today we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm actually going to be reading it uh, from the New Living Translation today. The reason I'm doing that is because for those of you who uh, don't, uh, uh, are not uh, uh, conversant with the Bible particularly, the New Living, Bar, New Living Translation hears really well. It's a good translation, but it's good for listening to. So maybe you want to listen. You can follow behind me on the screen if you want to. But the scriptures I use when I'm preaching are probably going to be from the Christian Standard Bible or the New International Version. Okay, so let's read together. This is what the passage says. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now a person who's put in charge as a manager must be faithful. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove that I'm right. It's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. It's going to roll over in a second. Dear brothers and sisters, I've used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to what I've quoted from the scriptures, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of another. For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why do you boast as though it were not a gift? You think you already have everything you need. You think that you're already rich. You have begun to reign in God's kingdom without us. I wish you were really reigning already, for then we would be reigning with you. Instead, I sometimes think God has put us apostles on display, like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you claim to be so wise in Christ. We're weak, but you are so powerful. You are honored but we're ridiculed. Even now we go hungry and thirsty and we don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We are often beaten and have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We're patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us, yet we're treated like the world's garbage, like everyone's trash, right up to the present moment. I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. That's why I've sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Jesus Christ Jesus, just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. Some of you have become arrogant, thinking I will not visit you again. 
But I will come, and soon, if the Lord lets me, and then I'll find out whether these arrogant people just give pretentious speeches or whether they really have God's power. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it's living by God's power. Which do you choose? Should I come to you with a rod to punish you, or should I come with love and a gentle spirit? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's living and active. This is the word of God to us. And Father, we pray that today that you would illuminate your word by your spirit and you would speak into our hearts and lives. Father, inform our minds, stir our emotions, and bend our wills that we would be more Christ-like in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was reading uh, uh, a while ago about um, some uh, shepherds in Turkey. And uh, they were having their breakfast and uh, they were eating together and the sheep were wandering around. And then what happened was this. 400 sheep followed one the, the leader of the sheep, there was one sheep that they started to follow, and this one sheep led 400 sheep off a cliff. Another 1,100 survived because they landed on the dying sheep. Tim Challies, a Christian, a U.S. Christian author, says this, sheep, sheep don't commit suicide. The problem with sheep is they are really dumb. They are committed to a leader, so much so they'll follow at the cost of their safety. Sadly, we are a little sheep-like. We'll follow pretty much anyone. And so today, uh, the title of our sermon is Follow My Leader. This is what Paul is talking about in this passage. You know, we live in a social media mad world. 487 million people follow Christian, Cristiano Ronaldo on Instagram. 487 million people. Some of you are wondering, who on earth is Cristiano Ronaldo? Just behind him are Kylie Jenner and the Kardashians. Really? What about us? Phil Cranston follows on Instagram someone with the profile of father of daughters. Now, Phil has got three boys. What's that all about? On TikTok, James Brett allegedly follows the family. It's a dad and two sons doing silly dances. Maybe some of us this morning are part of the uh, nearly 34,000 people following the Otto House on Instagram. They give interior design uh, DIY advice. I don't know why it didn't come to me, honestly. <laughs> honestly, I'm your man for DIY advice. Just as important as this, who is following us? I remember uh, when my kids were younger, we'd come home uh, to Sunday lunch after church, and uh, the kids would say, Dad, Dad, tell us some stories about when you were, things you did when I was a kid. So I would just regale things that I got up to. And um, I, I mean, and then Annie one day said, you need to stop doing that, because Meg has started to copy 
at what you are doing when she's with her friends. And I'm like, oh my word, no. She's copying me, she's following my example. And I said, you've got to stop doing that. Stop telling those stories. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth highlights loads of issues. And in recent weeks, we've seen that there were groups of believers following different leaders, which is causing division in the church. Paul, is, Paul says in this chapter, we shouldn't take pride in people. Listen, even though there may be many good leaders, there is only one who we should wholeheartedly follow, and that is Jesus Christ. And as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus always asks us to follow him. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, he says to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you have come here today, this is maybe your first time, or you've been coming a few weeks, and you are not a follower of Jesus. I want to tell you, he is the only person in this world who is worthy of following wholeheartedly. Give your life to Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, he has never led me astray over all these years I've been following him. He is a magnificent leader. He has never let me down. I have let him down many times, but he has never let me down and he's never let me go. The believers in Corinth were being overly influenced by the Greek culture around them. And that culture encouraged them to follow big personalities and clever speakers. And as a result, they weren't willing to follow their God-appointed leaders in the church. Because they didn't fit the cultural mold. They, didn't, they weren't eloquent and they, uh, they weren't all that. And Paul is speaking into this to address this very issue. And in 1 Corinthians 4, he unpacks qualities that we should be looking for in Christ-like leaders and qualities that we should uh, be looking to take on ourselves that should be an example for how we live our lives, to live fruitful lives for God. And in this chapter, Paul identifies three qualities, and we're going to look at those this morning. Faithfulness, humility, and God's fatherly love. So here's the first one, faithfulness. In the first five verses, you see Paul talk about, what are we looking for? You should be looking for faithfulness. Sadly, it really isn't typically the first thing that's on our radar. Too easily, we mistakenly turn and, and look for other things. Success. Looking for a new church, you're looking for a successful church. You're looking for vision and numbers of people. And yet Paul has already told us in chapter 3 that a leader simply plants the seed that God has given him and others water it, but it's God who gives growth. It's God who gives success. Spiritual growth and spiritual success are solely down to God, down to Jesus. It's been the scourge of leaders and churches over these last few years. 
where we've believed it's success is about the leader and success is about numbers. It's not. We get trapped into thinking it's about gifting. We're looking for gifted leaders and speakers who seemingly minister in power and anointing. Elsewhere, Paul makes clear that people only exercise gifts that are given to them by God. They are gifts from God. They're gifts that are given to us. They are free gifts given by God's Spirit to build up the church. It's not down to the cleverness of the people. It's down to God. And so people like Tim, myself, Steve Lee, John Groves, Jonathan, we only do what we do by the grace of God. We get trapped into thinking it's about personality. I tell you, it is mad to follow a charismatic personality, a person you don't know. That has been happening over these last few years through COVID. People following all sorts of stuff through lockdown. But you don't know them. Paul speaks about being amongst people. He said, you know what my life was like. You saw me. You you saw my frailties and weaknesses. Don't follow someone you don't know. And in chapter 4, Paul uses himself and Apollos as examples. He's saying we should be looking for faithfulness. Not success, not gifting, not personality. We're looking for faithfulness. And Paul unpacks a little bit what that looks like as he talks about himself and Apollos. You see, he says we need to view every leader. All of us need to build these qualities into our life. We need to be servants of Christ. When he uses that, that word servant in chapter 1, he's, the word literally means under rower. The image is one of a Roman galley. And in a Roman galley, right at the bottom of the boat, there were those rowing in darkness. Their oars came out of the side and they, they were the ones that generated the power for the boat to go in the direction that the commander on deck was making the boat go in. They were unseen. They were working hard. They were invisible. But their effort drove the boat where their master wanted it to go. In serving him, they were serving others that were on the boat. They were simply servants. They were slaves of Jesus Christ, willingly, gladly serving him, unseen, invisible. That's the sort of leader that we follow. That's the sort of Christian we are to be as we follow the example of Christ who didn't come in a showy way. In fact, he came to a backwater of the Middle East. No one would have, no one looking to influence the world would have gone to the places he went to. He came as a servant to serve us and bring us to his father. The second Example that Paul gives in chapter 1, he talks about as those entrusted with the secret things of God. And the Greek word that he's using is, uh, it could be translated a manager, manager of an estate. This manager was a slave himself and when the master was going away on business, he would take his trusted manager 
his servant, and he would leave him in charge of his estate. This manager was responsible for doing exactly what the master would have done in his absence. And he was responsible for looking after the crops, the harvest, the the planting. He was responsible for looking after the the rest of the, the household. He was looking, he was expected to look after the property. But he was just a servant and he had to give an account when the master returned. Paul is using this to say faithfulness is what we look for. God himself, we're told, is faithful. We're told in chapter 1 that Jesus Christ is faithful. Jesus Christ came in obedience to the Father to this dark world to reveal the love of God to us. He was faithful. He was obedient to his Father's will, we're told. And typically when Paul commends leaders to churches. He commends them for being faithful ministers, faithful brothers, faithful servants. And so when you read about uh, Epaphras and Tychicus, Paul is saying they were faithful. He commends them for faithfulness, not for their clever speaking, not for the success that they might seemingly have had. He said, no, they were faithful. This is what Paul says. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. This is what faithfulness looks like. This was clearly a well-known phrase that Paul would have used in churches. It was well-known to the church in Corinth. Nothing beyond what is written. Paul's point is this. Leaders need to be faithful to the Word of God. If the Word of God says it, we're faithful to it. We live our lives in line with what the Word of God says. And today, in this world, there are so many voices telling us which way we should go, what we should do. And your leaders should be those who point you to the Word of God and says, if the Word says it, that's what we do. How do you live your life in these days? You live it in line with what God's Word says. Nothing beyond what is written. We can't pick and choose when we're faithful. You know, we have a history of judging people. We judge leaders and others around us by the success of what they do, about how good they're doing it, or based on their personality. Instead, we should be asking this, are they faithful to God? Because that's all that matters. Are they faithful to God? Are they faithful to what his word says? That should be enough. Forget what other, others say, what the world around us would say. That's what God's looking for. And that's what we ought to look for. Faithfulness. Faithfulness, we're told in verse 5, results in praise from God. There will be a day coming when we will all stand before the throne of God. And on that day, all you will want to hear from him is, well done. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Faithfulness. It's not a quality that the world champions. 
but it's one that's right at the very heart of God, faithfulness. The second one is this, verses 6 to 13, humility. The Corinthians had fallen into the trap of pride. They were proud of who they were following and got into fights over it. How mad is that? How crazy is that to be championing leaders? I follow him and I follow them. What, What a crazy thing to do. You see, the root of pride is that we are not trusting God. When we are putting our trust in other people, we are not trusting God. If you are elevating leaders in this church, there's a real danger that you're not following and looking to God. You should follow leaders who follow him. If you can't see your leaders following Jesus Christ, then you shouldn't follow them because you should be following Jesus. I read this earlier this week. This is sums up, I think, some of what we see in people around. This is, this is what it says in Psalm 36 verse 2. Struck me as I read it earlier this week. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. Are we like that? Are we blowing smoke about ourselves, bigging ourselves up? If we do that, we're in danger of not being able to detect or, or hate our own sin. Are there people around you who, there are people around us all the time, aren't there, who are just building themselves up, blowing themselves up, preening? I tell you, that is not a godly quality. We're to be people who look for humility. What's Jesus' assessments of our achievements? What's Jesus' assessment of Hope Church? Please don't let it be like the church and the believers in Laodicea who Jesus says to, you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing, And you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. We need to be those who are able, by the grace of God, to take a good look at ourselves. To look into our hands, to see our frailties and weaknesses. Because when we do that, it drives us to the grace of God and the mercy of God. Because we are, all that we are is because of his grace. It's not that we've done anything. Paul models humility. He says himself, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He is simply a servant of Jesus Christ. He understands that God's allowed him to be publicly humiliated, like a, like a, a, like a spectacle in a Roman arena. People looking down at just as his... The, the tough things he was going through. And yet he's happy, we're told, to be a fool for Christ. For his weaknesses to be seen. His thing is this. Is I don't care as long as Jesus is elevated. As long as people are seeing Jesus, I don't care. I don't care what they think about me. And so Paul challenges us. And he challenges us this morning with three questions. How are we so different from anyone else? That's his first question. How are we so different from anyone else? So what if our parents 
were wealthy? What if if they, so what if they were poor? So what if we went to a posh school or we went to a local comp? So what if we have a top degree and doctorate? Or we have a degree from the University of Life? What, so what if we have a well-paid job? So what if we don't? What do we have, is his second question, that we didn't receive? Did we have any input into who our parents were? The area we were brought up in, the color of our skin, the abilities that we have? No, we didn't. Everything we have is a gift from God. That should keep us humble. We have nothing that God didn't give us. So what on earth is this third question? So what on earth do we have to boast about? What makes us so superior to anyone else? How, can we, how dare we look down on someone else? How dare we look down on another church? How dare we big our health or our relationships, our job, our home, our income up as if we've done something? Listen, a telltale sign, a telltale sign that, our, that humility is an issue for us in our life, it's a battleground for us, is our lack of gratitude. Thanklessness dishonors God. Every Sunday, we should be coming into this place thankful for what God has done for us. Despite having a tough week, Despite all that's gone, we should be thankful for every good thing that God has given. There should be a stream of you looking to get up and pray and testify to the goodness of God to you this week. Other signs that we have an issue in this area is our prayer meetings. I mean, we have the privilege of coming before a God, the God of heaven, the all-powerful one, and coming to a throne of grace to ask him to help us in our time of need, and we don't do it. We see it in our unwillingness to help those in need, our smugness about our own position. Come on, God doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to be a people who know who we are, who we are by the grace that he gives us. Let's be those who receive with gratitude the leaders, the boss, the supervisor that God has given us. Let's encourage them, pray for them, help them, make their work a joy. Don't act like we know everything. How do we grow in humility? Paul tells us in Romans 12 verse 3, we should read this verse probably every day. For by the grace given me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Here's the evidence of gospel humility. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Paul talks about working hard in verse 12, working hard with his hands. Are we too precious to get our hands dirty? Talking to visitors, oh, that's the welcome team's job. Serving tea and coffee. Getting involved maybe with a Hope Street Cafe. Putting the hoover out. Gospel humility means that 
Actually, we'll do anything to serve him if that's what he's calling us to do. When we're cursed, when people talk about us with disdain, when they, what do we do? Do we confront them? Do we moan? Or do we return cursing with blessing? That's how Paul responded. He wasn't bothered by what other people said to him. When we're persecuted, when we're picked on, when we're mocked, do we withdraw? Do we run away? Or do we endure hardship like good soldiers of Jesus Christ? When we're slandered, when things are said about us that just aren't true, do we start a campaign to clear our name? Or do we respond with mercy and grace and kindness? God wants us to be a people who understand gospel humility. He wants you to see it. He wants you to look for it in your leaders. And he wants you to model it in your own lives. Here's the last thing. In verses 14 to 21. God's fatherly love. should be looking for God's fatherly love. Philip Yancey, some of you will have read What's So Amazing About Grace probably many years ago. And in it, Philip Yancey tells a story that was written by Ernest Hemingway. And the story is of a father in Spain. And the father is estranged from his son, called Paco. And so he puts an advert in uh, the local paper, the El Liberal. And then notice, he just puts this little message in. He says, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana, noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. And he gets there on Tuesday at noon. And he finds 800 young men, all called Paco, waiting for their fathers. We live in a fatherless society. I want to tell you, father wounds are everywhere. I've lived most of my life with an ache for a father figure. I've longed for someone to father me in the faith. Sadly, I've always been disappointed, a bit disappointed. And Paul says the reason is we don't have many fathers. We have lots of instructors, lots of teachers, but few fathers in the faith. Paul is a father to these people. He's saying we should look for spiritual fathers. You should be looking for fathers in the faith, mothers in the faith. And you yourselves should be looking to be that to other people. How do you spot spot the father's heart? Well, fathers produce sons. Paul clearly knew how to bring new sons and daughters to birth in Christ. Fathers are great role models. They don't just tell people what to do. They show them how to do it. They model it. And so all through this passage, what you've seen is Paul saying, it's not what I say, you've seen how I live my life. Fathers produce sons who carry their DNA. This is what it says in verse 17. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. Paul was his father. He says, he will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul is saying, I'm consistent wherever I go. 
You have seen it in me. He is modeling what he has seen and I want you to copy him. Fathers, discipline. Fathers don't always just pat you on the back. Sometimes fathers have to point you in the right direction. So when I'm saying things about prayer meetings and stuff like that, I'm just trying to nudge you in the right direction. Not because of any other reason, but it's an opportunity to come before the living God and seek his face. Do we have spiritual fathers? Do you have spiritual? Is there a father wound in you, longing for a father? You have a father in heaven all those years ago, 27 years ago when my dad died. God said to me, I will be a father to you. I'll be a father to you. I'll be a father to you. I'll be a father to you. And I want to tell you, over these last years, these last 32 years, he has been a faithful father. And do you know what? I want to be a better father, not just to my own flesh and blood, but I want to be a better father. I want to be a better father to you. And I want you to be better fathers, mothers to those around you. Paul's challenge to us today is just the same. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Jesus Christ. Paul is clear that this is not about following men. If you hear anything from me today, is this. I want you to be those who follow Jesus Christ. I heard a leader once say this. And it stuck in my mind and it was so helpful to me. He was in a big church and the church were talking about vision and where are we going and what's our big vision. And, and he, said it was, he said it was just frustrating. He said it was really difficult. He said, because I just felt they're looking for a five-year plan. And he said, in the end, I just said, them, said to them this. He said, I'm going to follow him. Will you follow me as I follow him? That's it. That's it. Do you know what? As leaders in the church, of ministries and whatever, small group leaders, they're to be people who just follow him. And you follow them because you see them following him. And others will follow you because you follow Christ. God wants us to be Christ followers. The challenge of this passage this morning is, who are you following? This is a moment, I think, to just reconsecrate and just say, God, I've, I've, maybe you've not done very well. That's okay. Paul got it wrong lots of occasions. I make mistakes every day. That's okay. We come to a father who forgives us and just urges us to get back and right. Lift your eyes, look to Jesus, be faithful to what he's called you to do, faithful to the word. Be people humble. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think of others as better than yourselves. Follow the example of Christ in this. 
and be people who have God's father heart. Love people as he loves them. Can I ask you just to just take a moment? I'm just going to lead you in prayer and then I'm going to hand over to Jonathan and the band. Lord, we, we come to you this morning and we, we come before one who is our Father, our Father in heaven. Thank you that you love each one of us deeply and richly. Thank you, you love us so much that you gave your son for us. And so, Father, today, we want to be those who follow you. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We want to walk after you. We want to be followers of the way. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We want to follow you. And Lord Jesus, help us view things through a different filter. Help us look for faithfulness. Faithfulness in our own lives. Faithfulness in the eyes, lives of others. Help us be faithful servants in these days. That we would see the kingdom of God come in these days. Father, we want to be humble people. We don't want to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We want to elevate you. And Lord, we want to be those who love people as you love them. Help us do that pray in Jesus' name. Amen.